you know, first times are always a little bit more exciting, a little bit, um, a little bit adventurous. You know, they catch you a little bit more. I remember the first time that I rode a bike. Do you guys remember that? The first time you got on a bike and took the training wheels off and you're terrified that you're going to fall over, but you don't somehow and you're really pumped about it. The first time you get behind the wheel of a car, you know, you get back there, your knuckles are white as cars are whizzing past you on the interstate and you're doing 20 miles an hour just like, uh. Or for some of us, you're doing 80 miles an hour and when you get out, whoever was driving with you says, you know, some people just weren't meant to drive. You know, that, that's just not, uh, not how we're supposed to do it. You can go ahead and click and the pictures will start coming up. Um, or maybe even HDTV. I remember the first time I watched HDTV, my eyes were like coming out of my head attached to the screen, just like, no. And then I tried to watch regular TV at my house and I didn't even want to watch it, which is surprising. Um, or even a digital camera. I remember the first time I, you know, took a picture and I was like, oh, that's what I look like. Right, we're done with pictures. No more pictures for now. <laughs> But, you know, after I started using it time and time again, the novelty of the digital camera kind of wore off. You know, I stopped to appreciate the fact that I could take a picture, and if I didn't like it, I could just delete it. And I'm afraid that the same thing has happened to the gospel, that, that we've forgotten as an American church the power behind the gospel. You know, the gospel has power over our past, over our present, over our future, and somehow we tend to forget it. Or if we don't forget it, we can always use a decent reminder. Uh, Ephesians 1, I was just reading this. I wasn't supposed to say this, so Barry's already, oh, what's he saying? But Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says, I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So I think it's that power that we've forgotten. And how can I say this? I know what you're thinking. There's some of you, there's two different types of people in this room. There's some of you that are saying, you know, amen, we have forgotten. Tell us, tell us. And you'll agree with anything I say up here. I can say, you know, and you're all very bad people. And you yes, we're bad. But there's some of you down there, like Wes, who's saying, I didn't forget. I, I, all right, I know what the gospel is. All right, you can tell me. You can ask me right now, and I'll tell you. And maybe you're right. But... I thought you might say that, so I decided to do a little project of my own to prove it to you. We all know the power of Facebook and how mighty, mightily it brings us all together. Well, I decided to do a little research project using Facebook. I put up a little status. For those of you who don't understand how Facebook works, just trust me. This is a great, very in-depth research. Um, <laughs> but I put up a Facebook status asking, you know, hey, I really need your help. Tell me in as few words or as many words as you want your definition of the gospel. And I left it up for, you know, a good amount of time, and I got three responses. And so I thought maybe, you know, maybe people didn't see it, so I put those three responses in a note and posted that on Facebook, and I got two more responses. And the responses weren't, weren't bad. I mean, some of them were as short as, you know, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and one was a bit lengthier from a friend's dad, and I was really appreciative of that. But the problem isn't, in what they said, it's that I only got five responses out of hundreds of people. You know, the Apostle Paul gives a description of the gospel in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And see, his description of the gospel isn't, isn't so much more than the good news of Jesus Christ. He goes, you know, in his letter to talk a little bit more about how the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life and died for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God and so that we could not be weighed down by our present. He says how, you know, the gospel pays for our past and our present and provides for us in the future. But how does he start this? He says, for what I passed on to you as of first importance. Or in another translation, it says, what was most important. And if the gospel is what's most important to us, what we should remember the most, we should be excited about it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I hope that this morning I can get you guys a little bit excited about the gospel. Uh, The main passage we're going to be looking at today is Romans uh, 1, 16, and 17. So if you'll turn there, um, while you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background. See, the Apostle Paul totally agrees with me in everything that I say, so it's really exciting. Um, But this letter to the Romans, he was writing, you know, most of his letters, he's trying to address an issue in the church, or he's talking about a previous relationship. But this letter to the Romans, he doesn't have a strong relationship with them. He's never visited them. He's never really talked to them before. So he's writing uh, to uh, talk about how he's going to see them on his way up through Spain. And he says, you know, I'd love to see you. I've heard about your faith everywhere. You know, you guys are doing a great job. He's not telling them they did everything wrong. But he's writing to tell them what they believe, to remind them a little bit of what they believe. Um, in our passage, he says, well, before, I won't read it yet. You guys aren't ready for it yet. Um, no, I'll read it. You're right. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, uh, a a righteousness from God is revealed that is from first to last, a righteousness by faith. Now, before we dive into this, before we really get into it, let me tell you a little story. Everybody likes stories, right? Ellen is telling me, you have to tell a story, you have to be funny. So I'm trying here. This is me trying. Um, How many of you have celebrated an anniversary before? I'm really happy for you guys. How many of you have forgotten to celebrate an anniversary before? (laughs) Thank you. See, there's one honest man in this audience. I, too, have forgotten an anniversary. And I remember this rather vividly. It was... uh, you know, one of those times me and my girlfriend are hanging out, and we've been hanging out for a couple of days, and we're walking. It's about, you know, mid-afternoon, and she turns to me and says, do you know what day today is? And I say, of course, it's Saturday. She says, do you know what date it is? And I said, uh, the date after it was on Friday. And so she still has this smile, but it gets a little bit sharper and less happy. And she says... Did you know that today's our anniversary? And as any good man does, I defend myself. You know, I respond by talking as fast as I can, saying whatever comes out. I say, well, of course, I I mean, I knew that the 17th is our anniversary, and I knew that day was coming, and it's not like I forgot our anniversary. You know, I know our anniversary is coming. I just, I wasn't remembering it. I still have like 12 hours before the day's over. I'll remember, I promise. 
you know, I'm afraid that we've done the same thing to the gospel. It's not that I forgot. I just wasn't aware. It's like when... <laughs> I, I'm a young 22-year-old, as you can probably tell by me standing up here shaking, talking to all of you. But, you know, I live at home during the summer with my parents. And when I'm hungry on the couch watching, I wish, Sports Center, but we don't have cable, talk to my dad. But, you know, I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, and I get hungry. And I hope and pray that my mother will bring me a sandwich. And once in a while, she actually does, and it's awesome. But when she brings it to me, I kind of go, you know, the average young man responds, uh like, thank you, just take it, eat it, nah, nah. But the last couple weeks, I've been house-sitting. And when I'm hungry on the couch, watching Sports Center, I go, uh, and the dog gnaws on my ankle and says, yeah, me too. <laughs> and so, it's not that I was ungrateful when my mom brought me a sandwich, but I didn't really realize how grateful I should have been. And so I was, in reality, ungrateful. And the same thing has happened to the gospel. We forget its power over our past and we become ungrateful. So the great thing about anniversaries is that they remind us of where we're not. They remind us that, you know, our past is in our present. I always think, you know, whenever we celebrate an anniversary, when I don't forget, that I'm no longer single. And that's something worth celebrating. I'm no longer on a Friday night sitting at home with Wes saying, oh, gosh, we're so lonely, man. we got to find girls. <laughs> like, that's, that's my past and not my present. And the same thing has happened to the gospel. We forget what we've been saved from. And so, if I had time, which I'm sure you're glad I don't take the time to, but I would take us through Romans and take us through the first chapter and the second chapter and the beginning of the third chapter and show you the magnitude of what we've been saved from. You know, Paul says a lot of things in here. He says that, you know, God's wrath was against us. He says that, you know, we had sexually impure desires, that we had greed, that we had every kind of wickedness, that we were futile in our thinking, that our hearts were darkened, that, you know, we thought we were wise, but really we were foolish, that we were arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil, disobedient to our parents, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You know, these are all Paul's words, not mine. And that's only from the first chapter. It goes on and on about how hopeless we were, about how great our debts were. And then... As if to top it all off, he talks about the law and how the law showed us, that God's law showed us that we really were hopeless, that we had no way of paying back all the sin against God, all the things we'd done wrong. Have you ever talked to someone who's actually hopeless, ever seen that look in their face? I had the distinct privilege of going uh, to municipal court for a violation that you know just went through the system recently from a couple years ago. And while I was there, I got to see a guy who really was hopeless. He you know, came before the judge and he had a drunken misdemeanor. He had driving while intoxicated. He had uh, like several other offenses. He had failure to pay. And this guy, in the end, had thousands of dollars that he owed. And he told this you know, really sad story about how his mother had gotten cancer and he had to come back and leave his job down south to come and take care of her. And how it, like, it just sucked all his finances away and she ended up dying and now he has no job and no money. And, you know, he's trying to find work, but he had just no way to pay this off. And the judge asked him, you know, are you prepared to pay anything now? And he just looked at the judge, and you could tell by, you know, he's sagging over, kind of barely making eye contact, like that he had no hope. And he said, I can't pay anything now, but by Monday I'll try and pay $50. And $50 wasn't even going to make a dent in the interest this guy owed. You could really tell that he had no hope. And that's how we were. 
That's how we are without the gospel. That is what our past made us, that we had no hope. In Philippians 3.19, Paul says that, speaking of those who have no hope, those without the gospel, that they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they only think about life here on earth. Or the New International Version says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But we have been made righteous. That was us before the gospel. But the gospel makes us righteous. Romans 3, 21 22 says, But now righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That is what we believe as Christians, that it's through Christ that our past is paid for. And I don't think many Christians would disagree with me, but we don't realize it. We don't get what we've been saved from. We should be excited, but we don't realize the power in what we've been saved from. To show this a little better, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Blood Diamond, but every time I watch it, I just this one scene just gets me because it reminds me of how badly I had it and just how much God loved me and what he did. So we're going to watch a clip from it just to give you a little background if you haven't seen it. It's about this family that gets torn apart. Uh, the son gets taken off to be a child soldier, and the father is you know, enslaved into finding diamonds in this river. And he finds one and hides it and then gets away, and he spends the rest of his time during the movie looking for his son, trying to rebuild this family. And in the scene we're about to watch is when he first... You know, comes into contact with his son after this. I am your father who loves you. Come home and be my son again. I am your father who loves you. Come home and be my daughter again. That is the message of the gospel. We were as lost as that little boy. But God says to us, I know you did bad things. But because of Jesus Christ, you're not a bad boy. Come and be my son and my daughter again. And so in light of that, in light of what God has done for you, I hope that gets you excited. I hope that's a freeing feeling for you. And so I have a challenge for you that goes along with it. I doubt that any of us can keep in mind what we've been saved from on a regular basis. I doubt that any of us can keep in mind the entirety of our past that God has saved us from and how amazing that is, how much excitement we should have. But to help you do that, I challenge you to take your bullet and take anything you can. Write it on your hand, I don't care. But write down something that you've been saved from. You know, whether it's an addiction, whether it's something as big as murder or as small as disobeying your parents, which isn't small parents. Write it down. And if you can't think of anything, if you're struggling, then go back and read Romans 1 and 2 and see all the things that you should have been, all the things that you were before the gospel, and write some of those down. And look at it when you get home. Remind yourself what you've been saved from. And then get excited and tell someone about it. See, you know, if you talk to someone who's lost any amount of weight, they are excited about it. 
They will tell you regardless what conversation you're talking about. You could be talking about cream cheese or football, and they will incorporate the fact that they lost weight. Oh, yeah, I had some cream cheese on my bagel this morning. Oh, yeah, I ate light cream cheese when I lost 50 pounds. Ah, oh, dude, what do you think of this Brett Favre situation, you know? I just, is it a big deal? I don't know about Brett Favre, but you burn a lot of calories playing football. You know how many calories I burned when I lost 50 pounds? It doesn't matter what you're talking about. They're excited about it. And they want to share it. And we should be just as excited about the gospel because we've lost something that weighs indefinitely more than 50 pounds. We've lost the burden of our sin. We forgot what the gospel did. And that made us ungrateful. But we should be overwhelmed with gratefulness. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. You know, we all have things we're ashamed of, parts of us that we don't think measure up. And the problem is we've forgotten what the gospel does. You know, you might you might be sitting there and saying to yourself, you know, Dan, I understand. I understand that, you know, my past is taken care of, that my past, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But that doesn't change me in the present. That doesn't make me any better. And we cling to our present weakness. We have our identity in our present faults, in our weaknesses. We've forgotten what the gospel does, and that leads to weakness. Romans 6.6 6 says... For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. See, we were slaves by sin. We were identified by our sin. We were identified by our faults. But that's not the God that we serve. We serve the God of Romans 4.17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Things that are not as though they were. You know, we may still see the effects of sin, but it's not our sin that defines us. It's not our faults that define us. It's not those things that define us, but the gospel defines us. You know, you might be sitting there saying, all right, Dan, I understand that, but what does this have to do with my everyday life? You know, I'm I'm still not going to go out from here and be amazing at sports. I'm not going to be an athlete. I'm not going to be any more attractive. I won't be smarter or more talented. That might be great for you, but I'm not spiritual. You know, I'm not standing up here behind the podium. So how are you going to change that? You know, I still get depressed every time I think about the fact that I can't provide for my family. That I'm not a good mother. That I'm a terrible daughter. That doesn't change that I'm not. That I can't. What about what's happened to me? You can't change that. The gospel doesn't change what I've been through. No, but the gospel says that you are not defined by who you are or who you are not, but by whose you are. I am your father who loves you. Come and be my son again. That is where your identity is. If there's anyone who should have had an identity problem, it's the guy who wrote Romans. It's Paul. Because before he was Paul, he was Saul. And in Acts 7 and 8, all he did was persecute. He destroyed the church. He imprisoned innocent people. He stood by as Stephen was stoned. He's essentially a murderer 
And, you know, because God chose him, he recovered. He didn't keep his identity in that. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might have the identity in the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul writes, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. It is by God's grace that Paul could have identity elsewhere from what he had done, from his reputation. You know, when he goes back to Jerusalem after his conversion as Paul in the book of Acts, the apostles won't even talk to him. They won't even see him because they don't trust him. His reputation precedes him. And he could have easily let that define him, but he didn't. He took his identity from the gospel, from the righteousness of God. And because of that, he continued to preach You know, I mentioned earlier a car accident, or at least a traffic violation that I was in. Um, And that was from a car accident that happened about two years ago. I was coming home from a friend's house early in the morning. It was my last day in the country, well, my last day driving in the country before I went over to Israel for the semester. And I was driving home, and I came to Route 31, and I went to cross it, and I looked both ways. Um, I saw the cars in the distance on either side, but I didn't see the motorcycle that was right next to me. And so as I went to go across, he hit me right beside my passenger door. And I went off and hit a telephone pole, and he got, he got pretty hurt. And for the longest time after that, I felt defined by that accident every time I got in the car. Every time I got behind the wheel, I didn't feel like a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old driving to work. I felt like the guy who could have ruined someone's life, who may well have ruined someone's life because he couldn't see him. You know, it might not have been my fault. You know, I looked. I might not have just not seen the guy. It was an accident. But it doesn't make me feel less responsible. It doesn't make me feel any better when I get behind the wheel of a car. And it wasn't until recently that I realized, you know, the power of the gospel isn't just over my past. God doesn't just... Forgive me for getting in that accident. But he gives me the power to find identity in spite of what happened. In spite of the fact that I seriously injured another person. In spite of the fact that I feel worthless when I get behind that car. In spite of that, God says, you are my son. I chose you. That is who you are. He doesn't promise it will be easy. He doesn't promise that he's going to heal the guy or make me feel better all the time. He doesn't promise that everything will be easy or all right. But the righteousness of God, the power of God's salvation, for salvation, is what defines me. And I can take my identity and take my stand in that. See, we should be unwavering in our identity. Regardless what we have done, regardless who we are, that's not who we are. Who we are is the Son of God. Who we are is Jesus Christ. And that should give us an unwavering identity. And so my second challenge to you is where is your identity? What defines you? I know some of you are sitting there saying, my identity is in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And that's good because that's what I just said. But for even those people, what is it that tries to grab your identity, that tries to tell you this is who you are? 
that this is what defines you. You know, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, you know, I know I'm identified by who I am in Jesus. I know that I'm a son of God, but I just get down on myself every time I look in the mirror or every time I open my Bible or every time I step foot in church because I know I don't measure up. I know I'm not good enough. But that's just the thing. None of us are good enough. You aren't good enough, but he is good enough. And it is in him that you find your identity. And so my challenge to you is take that thing, whatever it is that vies for your identity, that tries to tell you this is who you are, and write that down. Write it down so that you can remember, so that you can take it home. And when you get home, take it to God. Say, Lord, this is what tries to define me. But God, I give this up to you because you are what defines me. See, once you've given that up, once you've given over power of whatever that is, so you can say that the gospel has power over my present. You can say the gospel is powerful over that. And that's just one more thing that you can be excited about and you can share with those around you and you can exemplify to a dying world. You can show them the power of the gospel over the present. And rather than being weak by forgetting, you can be strong in your identity in Jesus. Now, I know you think we should probably be done, but that's only the first verse. So we got one more. And I can say that. I can do this because I'm going home after this. I'm done. I don't have to get up here next week and deal with everyone. You know, you went 40 minutes over. Ah, that's great. Sean loved that one. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. See, we've forgotten what, what the gospel will do. We've forgotten about the future. You know, Dave read that psalm during worship, Psalm 96, that talked about the Lord's coming. And without that hope, we're hopeless. To go back to the illustration of a relationship, you can ask any girl who's in a serious relationship. If they don't see it going somewhere, if there's not progress in the future, if there's not the hope of marriage, then the relationship's worthless. I mean, I don't know how many chick flicks I've watched where they ask, like, do you see this going anywhere? Like, I'm serious. I know it's funny. I shouldn't use that. But, you know... Without hope for the future, without hope for it going somewhere, we're hopeless. I mean, I, let me use the illustration of birthdays. You know, when you're 12, your 13th birthday is huge. You're like, I'm going to be 13, yes. I can't wait 200 days till I'm 13. But like when you reach a certain point, <laughs> it changes. For me, it was 21. No, really. 22, it's like, oh, no, what, what do I have to look forward to? I can already do everything. Now I'm just getting older. You know, we, I have no hope for the next year. All I have now is bills. You know, my, I love this story. My grandma went to the doctor, and you know, he said to her, you know, Nancy, because her name is Nancy, Nancy, I, I envy you. I'm jealous of you. And she said, why, doctor? And he said, because you're closer to heaven than I am. 
Yeah, that was, that was her first response too. But, you know, the thing is, he can say that and not be wrong. Because it is something to be excited about. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. Because death is not the end. We have hope. And it's in that hope that we find identity. It's in that hope that we trust. It's that hope that gets us through the day to day. You know, we might not always be able to put our past behind us and say that's paid for. Sometimes we just can't feel that. Sometimes we can't just, we just can't find our identity in the present. But on those days, we can trust that we have a hope in the future. That it won't always be the way it is now. Romans 8, 22 says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But what hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what one already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We hope that God is going to do what he has promised. We hope for the future. We hope for the promises in this book. You know, in in Revelation 21, we get a beautiful image a beautiful image of what it will look like when Jesus returns. 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That is the hope that we have in the gospel. That all the pain that we have here, it's not forever. That one day, Christ is going to come back. He says that, in this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. But how does he end that verse? He says, fear not, for I have overcome the world. So when you're broken down by your past, when you feel worthless because of your failures, when you feel like you'll never find identity in the love of Christ, when you'll never measure up, when this world just makes you hurt, Take comfort in the return of Jesus Christ. He says, I am coming quickly. Say that with me. I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. And that's where our hope is, that he is coming quickly. And so my final challenge to you is to remember this hope, to live in it. Take that phrase, I am coming quickly. Write that, write that on a note card. Put it on your fridge. Write it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your computer background. I don't care where you put it, but remember, cling to that hope because it's that hope that gets us excited. It's that hope that we live in. The gospel isn't something that took care of our past and ended. It's something that's happening now and will be completed in the future. So cling to that hope. Do whatever you have to to remember. In conclusion, I hope that what I've said, that what we've talked about, that what we've read has reminded you of the power of the gospel. I hope that you can now remember, or if you've never thought of it before, you can think of it for the first time, that the gospel is powerful over your past, powerful over your present, and powerful over your future. That you can 
Be grateful for your past. Now you can be strong in the present. Now you can have hope in the future. And if you haven't understood what that means, if you've never experienced that, then I invite you to to deal with that today. And Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you want to do that, then go ahead and do it. If you want to understand more, there's a room full of people who would love to talk to you about it. Talk to me, talk to the real pastor, not just an almost pastor. Talk to someone. And for those of you who do believe but feel like you don't have a testimony, feel like you have nothing to say, that you have nothing to share, well, Jesus Christ is your testimony. This power is your testimony. You know, you are surrounded by people who are weighed down by their past, who think they're worthless in their present, think they don't measure up, and who have no hope for the future, who are just like that man, who have no hope. But you have that hope. And you have that power to share with them. And that is what you share. So I challenge you to tell your story. Because that is your story. And for those of you who do have a testimony, who do have something to share, my challenge to you is to share it. Because whatever you've been through, Jesus is bigger than it. Jesus Christ is bigger than your insecurities, your struggles, or any past or any shame that you may have. Find your identity in him and share the power of Jesus Christ with a dying world.